Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And we have found yet again another heart-centered leader that I'm very excited to introduce you to. We are sailing along, no pun intended. I'm recording podcast interviews this week from Lake Erie on my boat. And it just goes to show that you can change your environment and still be intentional and productive as a heart-centered leader. So my guest today is Jason LaDuke. He had served 20 years in the United States Air Force, and he retired at the rank of Lieutenant Colonel in 2015. Through his work, Evil Genius Leadership Consultants, Jason maintains his growth as a leader through learning the best practices of various industries as he trains government and corporate clients, as well as nonprofit organizations and small business owners. Jason is a strong believer in continuing to educate ourselves, and he is also an avid reader and practitioner of leadership, motivation, communication, and human behavior. So Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a real real privilege to be here. And let me say, you have a, you have a beautiful boat. I'm a little jealous. It's been a few years since I've been on a boat, and yours well, is really beautiful. Well, don't be, don't be jealous. Be envious, because you're going to be on one, I'm sure. And you're sitting in Las Vegas right now, so I'm envious of you. So isn't that fun? Well, it's, a, it's always good to, to recognize that uh, the grass is greener, but to recognize the, the benefits of what we have as well, so... You know what? I just, I feel like we're both abundantly blessed and you're in a place that you love and I'm doing the same. And I love how you said in your bio that you are a practitioner. So on that note, let me jump into my first leadership question. I love the name of your company, Evil Genius Leadership Consultants. I know there's a little bit of a story. So give us some insight to where that name came from. And kind of part two of that question, if I may, Jason, how did the Air Force really help you transition into leadership? All right. So the first part of the question, if you have ever started a company or ever done any kind of branding or anything, you understand what a challenge it can be to choose a brand that reflects your values, positions you where you want to be in the market for the kinds of customers and clients you want to have. But also, if you're new to the arena and others have been in the arena longer, a lot of the good names are already taken. One of the most important things with branding is you don't want to be confused with someone else. It's one thing when you kind of get the splash benefit of being confused with someone who's got a great brand. But if you've worked really hard to build a brand and someone with a similar brand does something that doesn't reflect so well on you, that can be that can be a real deal breaker for some of your, your customers and your clients, especially in a field like we do with coaching and consulting and uh, training. 
So I was looking for something that was unique, something that reflected what I thought the company was going to be all about. And I struggled with it for a few months. And I was always texting my friends saying, what do you think of this for a name? What do you think of this for a name? And I was dating this girl when I was in Alabama at the time. And she came back like that, that list you just sent, those are all good. But I, I don't know why you don't just call it like evil genius or something like that. Cause that's kind of what you are. And uh, that really, that really clicked and resonated with me right away because that to me, that's what the company is all about. It's about finding that spark. Every person has a spark of an idea, a spark of some good they want to bring into the world, something that they want to turn into reality. And the real challenge is not just having the dream, not just having the spark, but turning it into the reality. And if you've been in business or you've owned your own business, you know how hard that can be. There's a lot of setbacks, a lot of challenges along the way. And I wanted to help people have the tools, have the skills to be able to turn those sparks and those dreams into reality and also to build the resilience to not give up on it when it got hard. When you look at evil geniuses in the movies or in books or in cartoons, they've got that. They've got the tools. They've got the skills. They've got the ability to, to inspire and rally lots of people behind them to go do something. They just kind of make bad choices about what it is they want to bring into the world, right? So I want, to, I want to take all the people who have great things they want to do in the world, give them that tool set and help them be that evil genius who's going to bring what they want to the world and inspire a lot of people around them. Well, it certainly is executing your inner genius. And isn't it funny how you can have the most innocent conversation in passing and it kind of stopped you in your tracks and you were like, wait a minute, I really like that. So what a great story, Jason. It, it really shifted the game for me about how I thought about the company because I hadn't formed the company yet. It was a few months before I was actually going to pull the trigger. I was doing all my research on it and that was part of it. So it really shifted the game for me and it helped me crystallize what I wanted the company to be about. Uh, instead of kind of this vague idea of tools and skills and leadership that I learned in the military, which is all important, but wasn't helping me create the brand, that really crystallized the brand for me and what I wanted to help people do. And I think the second part of your question was, was about how did this come about from the military or, or what, did, what did I learn in the military? It, it goes back to, and this is something that we do very well in the military and I haven't really seen anywhere else. From the day you come into the military, even at basic training or officer training, everything comes with a conversation about leadership. Now, when you're brand new, that conversation is more about how you're going to follow than it is about how you're going to lead. But as you grow and develop as a leader, as you progress in rank, as you progress in experience, as you progress in skill and ability, you start to get to have more of the conversations about why are we doing the things we're doing? How are we doing the things we're doing? And what is, the, what is going to be the best thing for us long term? in our squadron, our group, our wing, our work center, whatever it is, when we go to assign that new project or we go to send a group of people to go take care of something, uh, what's going to be best for us long-term? So sometimes you can send the person who's got the most experience is going to get the job done quickest, but that's going to be of limited value for them developing and growing as a future leader. Whereas if you send the person who has some work to do, some things to learn, they're going to make some mistakes along the way but they're going to learn a ton from it. They're going to come back as a better asset for us as part of the squadron or the group or, or whatever our organization is. And those are the kinds of things that we think about in the military almost all the time. It depends on what the stakes are. If the stakes are high, 
We're sending the best and the brightest out to take care of it as quickly and effectively as possible. But we're also thinking about how are they going to grow from that? And how can we use the, the work we need to do day to day or the unexpected things that pop up in order to grow our team, to grow them into future leaders? Because that's the only thing that's constant in the military is people are always moving up and moving in and moving out and moving on to new assignments. And we want to leave them better than we found them. And we want to prepare them, not just prepare them for what's coming, but to have them, we want to set them up for success and have them excel at whatever it is they're going to do next. Well, and what I love about that is you've packed up and then unpacked all these transferable skills with the the heaviness of the foundation of both structure and discipline. And, and I love that you look at it through the lens of being a practitioner, which is a really nice comparison. So I love how you've done that. My second question has permanent residency on the show. Share with us what imperfections Jason brings to his heart-centered leadership. Well, I've got a lot of imperfections. So <laughs> where would you like me to start? I'll start with, I tend to view things view the world as problems to solve and looking for the most effective solution to solve the problem. That is not how everyone else views the world. And that's something I've needed to learn really over the course of about the last four or five years I was in the Air Force, actually even a little longer than that, maybe about the last six or seven years I was in the Air Force, that perspectives matter. It's not all about facts. It's not all about data. It's not all about what on paper looks like the best solution. And where this really crystallized for me was when I was in Iraq, my job was to work with the Iraqi Air Force. I was the project manager for the 36 F-16s that the Iraqi government was buying from us. And I think that buy is still going on. I don't think they finished delivering those yet. But that was my job to be the in-country representative for the United States on that project. And so I worked with a lot of State Department folks. In fact, I worked almost primarily with State Department folks, much more than U.S. military folks on that assignment. And that was my first experience with the State Department or working with anything in the government outside of the Department of Defense. What I learned from the State Department folks is that those perspectives really matter. Sometimes you're doing something and you're taking into account someone's perspective on the, the Iraqi side or whatever other government you're working with side, because you want to maintain the relationship, you want to build the relationship. And if it's not going to be a deal breaker for what you're going to do later on, if it's not going to really cause a lot of problems for you later on, there's room to just sit and listen sometimes. Even if you know what they're saying is not something you can get on board with, recognizing their perspective, at, at a minimum, they'll feel heard that you've listened to their perspective. And that's going to build a relationship for you, which is so important in leadership, whether you're the boss or you're working with peers or you're building strategic partnerships, is understanding those perspectives just from relationship building perspective. But also, as I found with a background in engineering and now a background in engineering and business, is that understanding those different perspectives can actually help you get to a better solution to what the problem is. So for me, one of my big imperfections is that focus on problem solving, that focus on the question, how do we know? And looking at the data, looking at the information, then choosing the best option based solely on that, really more just making that part of what I need to do and looking at those different perspectives, understanding those and gathering that data and information on different perspectives and treating that, whether it's treated equally or whether it's treated in some weighted kind of fashion in the decision-making process, 
understanding those perspectives, recognizing the views of others and the perspectives of others can, can get you to a much better solution that's going to last long term and be win-win for everybody. Absolutely. And, and it's also the brilliance of you bringing that analytical mind too. So not a, not a bad imperfection, Jason. Now, my third leadership question is, you talk about building a team that solves your problems before you even know that you have a problem. Unpack for us what you mean by that. As I said in the military, everything is a conversation about leadership. So we get to that very early. And so one of the things that we teach people very early in the military is if you see a problem and it's something you're allowed to take care of, go take care of it. Building that culture of initiative and that culture of accountability. If you went and took care of something and it didn't turn out so great, that that was me. I I did that. I'll get it fixed. So seeing problems, fixing problems. If you cause a problem, fix the problem. That's one of the keys that I think our military works so effectively is we build that culture of initiative into people. And like I said, you don't have a lot of authority to make changes when you're new, but as you gain in responsibility, you also gain an authority. Those are those are two of kind of the big pillars that we work work on in the military. Really, the three are accountability, responsibility, and authority, putting aside the differences between what accountability and responsibility are, because we, that's a much longer discussion than we have time for today. When you increase in responsibility, you get more authority commensurate with that. If you don't have the authority to go with your responsibility, you're effectively neutered. You can't, you can't fulfill the responsibilities you've got. If you have the authority without the responsibility, that's where we start to see abuse start to happen. When people have more authority and they don't have responsibility that goes along with it. That's something we do very well in the military is build that up. Resp- little bits of responsibility and authority. And that's how we get to the point where we can look at a room full of people and say, here's the problem. What can we do about it? And we don't even need, as the person standing in front of the room, a lot of the times we don't even need to say to people, you go do this and you go do this because they already know what their responsibilities are. They know what their authorities are and they bring to the table, here's what I can do. Here's how I can contribute to solving this problem. And in that room, when we pull together all of those ideas, all of those ways that that problem can be solved all of the things that can contribute, we can walk out of there with a plan. Now, we know that plan is going to be out the window probably in half an hour, but everybody knows what their responsibilities are, what their authorities are, and how they're contributing to the big picture. So they know they don't need to be in constant contact. They don't need to be constantly supervised or micromanaged to make sure things are going. That's the kind of culture I hope to bring out from the U.S. military into private companies, nonprofits, even state and local governments to some extent. Well, it's certainly you've got an amazing arsenal of tools in your leadership toolbox to bring to your evil genius repertoire. My last leadership question is, share with us one simple strategy that you feel helps not only build, but sustains a healthy, vibrant culture. The most important thing that any leader can do is make sure that they know what the culture that they want in the organization is. And that's something I found, we're, again, very good at that in the military, although we go through our cycles of that too, where the culture's changing, we get new missions and visions. We went through a lot of that in the 90s of rewriting mission and vision statements. And and to me, those are important to culture, but they're not the end-all, be-all of culture. That's a, a lot of what, in the corporate world, people think culture is, is, well, we've got a mission statement, we've got a vision statement, Uh, We've got some core values and we put those up on the wall. 
So now everybody knows, right? Everybody knows and everybody's gonna, everybody's gonna go do it because we put it on the wall. And unfortunately, culture doesn't work that way. In my last assignment in the Air Force, I had a really great mentor and he used to always say core values can't just be something that we put up on the wall. So it's important for that leader to know this is a culture I want to have and to have those artifacts that go with it, the vision statement, the vision statement, the core values, but to know that those words on the wall actually represent the culture that the, that the leader wants to have. A lot of times they don't. A lot of times they're holdovers or they, they get so massaged in committee, they don't reflect what the leader's looking for anymore. And then on top of knowing what that culture is, once you know what that culture is, you've got to be walking around. You've got to see if people are living it every day. If you want a culture of innovation in your, in your company, but you find out that your middle managers are squashing every idea that are coming up from the, from the front lines, you don't have a culture of innovation. You may talk, you may give speeches at conferences about how great the culture of innovation in your company is, but when it comes into practice, you don't really have it. And this is why it might be why you're tearing your hair out is why don't we have any new ideas? So knowing what the culture you want to be is and knowing what it actually is. Every company has a culture it just depends on, A, if you know what's actually going on, what the folks who are doing the work for you and doing that frontline management, frontline leadership are doing. Are they bought into what the culture you want to be? And if they're not, you've got to make some changes. You've either got to do some education. You've got to do some training. You've got to build that culture. But you can't do that until you know what you want your culture to be and what it actually is today. Well, and I love the way you frame that. And I had one CEO say to me once, our core values can look pretty and aesthetic and lovely on the wall, but if it's not walking the halls and being modeled in behavior, then it's just pretty words painted on the wall. So powerful statement. I'm going to switch over to my fast fab four and four fun questions. We just want to know what's sitting on the top of your mind. First question, tell us something that we don't know about Jason. Something you don't know and something that's been hugely influential in my life over the last two years has helped me develop a little bit of patience and uh, make myself a little more slow and deliberate is in 2019, I had detached retinas in both of my eyes. So I spent most of 2019 laying down on the couch for about six or eight weeks at a time, then back up again for about four weeks and in for another surgery. And that, that had been hugely influential because I kicked and screamed for most of 2019 and those surgeries continued into 2020. Most of it was done before COVID. And then by the time things were opening back up again was when I needed to wrap things up. So wasn't really impacted by COVID that much. I was already kind of used to being out of the game a little bit in 2019. But what I really learned from that was sometimes you just have to trust the process. I can get to the point where I very much want to be in control. I want to accelerate things. And I, for the first half to three quarters of 2019, I, I was really kind of miserable because there was nothing I could do to make things move faster. And I had to say to myself, I just have to accept that this is a one day at a time thing. And sometimes when you're leading a team, it's a one day at a time thing. You can set all the goals you want. You can put those goals out there, but you have to do the work every day. And you sometimes have to be patient and wait for the results of today to come in before you can start on the work for tomorrow. That's something that your folks probably don't know about me. Well, it's powerful in that, you know, sometimes I always call it when we're in the valley, growth comes from the valley. And and Mm -hmm. when we're in the valley, it's sometimes exactly where we're supposed to be. So all is well with your eyes now? Um, Mostly uh, my right eye. I'm seeing really well out of my right eye. My left eye is still doing a bit of healing. That's going to be a longer process. But I am functional and really back to uh, working 
uh, working and living at pretty much 100% at this point. So, Well, seeing and living your vision has new meaning for you now. So I, I tell people I'm looking at the world through new eyes, which is literally true. Very introspective, right? When you think about it. Okay, second question. Finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Absolutely essential. Leadership is a people business. If we could do this with machines, in fact, if you can do it with machines, you probably should. But the really complex stuff, the really important stuff, you're going to need people to do. And if you aren't treating people as people, like I said earlier, the recognizing those perspectives, recognizing where they're coming from, recognizing what they want out of being on your team, if you aren't looking at that from a heart-centered perspective and, and connecting with people on a human level, you will be minimally successful, if successful at all, in achieving whatever your goal is. Fully agree. Third question, share with us the book you want to read or you've just finished. What was the title and the author and why did you choose to read it or why do you want to read it? Okay, book I'm reading right now, Becoming Bulletproof by Evie Pomporis, retired Secret Service. You're nodding like you know what it is. So uh, retired Secret Service agent uh, in, in media and journalism now. Lots of really great stuff. Lots of stuff we teach in the military that that when you come out of the military, you kind of take for granted. And it's a little bit of an adjustment to, to realize that not everyone else in the world takes these steps every day. So really great stuff. I'm actually not even done with it yet, about two thirds done. I'm just starting to set. So she's got three sections. One is kind of the physical security and safety side. The second one is kind of reading people. And the third is influencing people. I think if you're in business or in leadership in, in any way, all the lessons from that book, I'll, uh, I'll give you guys an update when I get through section three, but I'm sure it's going to be just as good as the first two. The other book that I, it was an audio book and I'm shocked that I enjoyed it as much. I shouldn't be shocked I enjoyed it as much as I did. I'm shocked I learned as much as I did from it was Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights. Fantastic stories about developing work ethic. Fantastic stories about building integrity in your life. Fantastic stories about thinking about your career, planning your career for the future, and sticking with it when things get hard, sticking with it. And so if you get it, listen to the audiobook. It's Matthew McConaughey reading the audiobook and basically telling stories from his life. And it is fun and really engaging. It's interesting because the first book that you're reading, I had another guest who actually recommended that book to me. So that's why I was nodding to say you're the second person. And I do have Matthew's audio book as well. And it's a great listen. And I, I want to buy the physical book, but we are our stories. And I mean, we learn and unpack so much. And I'm trying to break down that paradigm that you don't need initials or title or a stature to be a leader. And I think he depicts that really, really well in his book. So I'm glad you enjoyed it because I did as well. Yeah, fantastic read. The last question I have for you is, what is one thing that you would like our listeners to remember about you? There's always room for a second act. There's always room for something new in your life. If you told me even 10 years ago, that I would be doing what I'm doing now, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have thought 12, uh, eight years ago when I was just getting back from Iraq that my post-Air Force, I would have stayed in the Air Force until they kicked me out. My post-Air Force career would probably be uh, being an engineer or a project manager, or technical consultant for a defense contractor. And, and that would be it. And I wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought I'm doing what I'm doing now. But some of those experiences, both 
pre-Iraq, in Iraq, and post-Iraq, I was ready for something new after the Air Force. And what I really felt I could do was bring out what I learned from the Air Force to people now. And that's it's been a huge challenge. I've had to learn so many things. The military prepares you for a lot of great things for being in business, focus, discipline, stick-to-itiveness, decisiveness, making a plan, minimizing risk. But it, it didn't prepare me for things like marketing and sales, networking, things like that. So there's always room for something new in your life, even if it's just something you're a little curious about. And sometimes those things that are initially just minor curiosities, which is how this all started for me, is something that could lead to a whole new career for you. Well, I'm, I'm delighted that uh, you wanted to be a guest on the show. I want to thank you for your service, for your country. And I'm glad you've jumped over and brought all your transferable skills into the leadership world. I love sharing this space with you. And I'm delighted that you came on the show today. And I want to thank you for your time and your expertise, but more importantly, for sharing your heart. Thank you. Thank you for uh, thank you for your support for our men and women in uniform. Please keep that up. I know things are slowing down around the world, but don't forget them. This is Deb Crow. Thanks for joining us once again on Imperfect. You've been listening to the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.